This episode is sponsored by Smash and Tess, a Vancouver-designed, North American-made, and globally-inspired clothing brand that is disrupting fast fashion by making clothing on demand rather in mass quantities. Check them out at smashtest.com and be sure to use the code THANKS for 15% off. We're chatting with one of the most colorful and kindest people on the internet. In today's episode, we chat with Rajni, owner of Jungly Vintage. Jungly Vintage is a Washington, D.C.-based vintage and secondhand shop. Her collections are inspired by her Indian roots, love of the 90s, streetwear, and the beautiful D.C. landscape. Some pieces are secondhand gems, others are vintage, and some pieces have been reworked from traditional Indian garments. We cover a lot of really great topics with Rajni in today's episode, including her secret to sourcing and thrifting online, how her brand honors her South Asian roots and her funky, colorful style, what she wished she knew before starting her vintage shop, and so much more. Keep listening for a new episode of Thanks, It's Thrifted with Dina and Shannon. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. We're so excited. Uh, You're one of my favorite people to follow on social media. So I'm so excited to chat with you and just learn more about your personal style and your vintage techniques and all that good stuff. So excited to dive in. I'm a huge fan of yours. And I there's no secret for me that I, I also love to thrift. So I'm so excited to talk all things secondhand. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure. So I live in DC and my full-time job actually is I'm a math tutor, which probably couldn't be further away from like fashion. <laughs> so I, uh, I do that. I torture kids with fractions full-time. Um, and then when COVID hit, I was, my hours actually increased because I think a lot of parents wanted more enrichment for their kids. And I was just like really seeking some sort of creative outlet because even if you're a math person after a while, you know, you do fractions that much, you kind of need something else going on to keep your brain stimulated. And so a friend of mine were chatting and I said, you know, I've always wanted to resell like secondhand and vintage clothing. Like I, and it just sort of came to me as an idea. And my friend was like, well, why don't you just do it then? Like, what else do you have going on? This was like the height of lockdown. And so I started with thrifting and a little bit of online shopping. And around February of, I guess it was February of 2021, I called up a really adorable flower shop in D.C., called she loves me and i said hey could i rent out your sidewalk like could i just like pop up outside of your store like with that you know you tell me when like i'm totally open and she holly who owns this amazing shop and it's since like has multiple locations in dc was like yeah sure like i'm doing this little event why don't you just like bring some of your clothes and you can do that and what's hilarious is i had called her but i had nothing for this pop-up shop like i didn't have racks i didn't i just had the clothes and so i'm like getting all of the stuff ready in like five days. And so I got to set up shop outside of her store. And I think ever since then, I've just been hooked. So like any opportunity I have to not only source the clothes, but sell them in person has just been such a new and fun side hustle for me. And so that's, and it's gone from like, we started with one pop-up a month, which was like a lot at the time, especially, you know, when you're learning how to do something new to like this past month, we had like three back-to-back and it's like, like one one a weekend or sometimes twice a weekend and I'm, I can't get enough. It's so much fun. I didn't realize that you started during the pandemic. I did. Yeah. So I, I launched my Instagram 
in that October. And it's funny because Dina, you, you were so helpful and just for someone like me who, I mean, I already mentioned, like I'm a math nerd. Like I like knew nothing about Instagram, nothing about like social media. I could barely like smile in a photo without looking weird, like just none of it. And so to go from that and to start photographing clothes was like a pretty big learning curve. And so I think to have the balance during the pandemic too of offering people an opportunity to shop outside in a safe environment was so awesome. So I want to talk a little bit about the name. Tell us what Jungali means and why you chose it. Yeah. So for anybody of South Asian descent, I'm Indian, American, when you're a kid, there's a good chance if you're doing something that's sort of not acceptable by your mom's standards, she's going to call you Jungli, which literally means wild child. So the examples for me were like, I wouldn't brush my hair or something. She'd be like, oh, you look like a jungly. Or like, <laughs> um, I would like, in Indian culture, like you eat with your hands, but you only eat with your right hand because your left hand is your bathroom hand. And so if you eat with your left hand, she's like, you're eating like a jungly. And so because I, I adore kind of colorful, but also a little bit kooky styled clothing, I was like, oh, this would be a good, you know, homage to my culture while also maybe offering the opportunity for anybody to buy my clothes. Anybody who identifies with the label wild child might find something they like. That's funny. That right hand, left hand kind of superstition or whatever is common in Arab and Muslim culture as well. Is it really? (laughs) That's so funny. I was looking at all your sweaters and they are wild and I love them. I love everything about every single one of them. Like, how do you find the cool things that you find? Like, you must have an incredible eye for the for the funky. Well, thank you so much, Anna. That means a lot. And it's funny because that, that's definitely evolved. I think this winter collection, I, I really delved into the cottage core. Like, <laughs> um, I call them whimsical knits because I'm like, ugly Christmas sweater doesn't do them justice. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go with whimsical knits. But here's my, my secret is I actually try to do a good amount of sourcing online too. And so I think what what I notice, and this is a challenge, I think, especially in the vintage secondhand world, and especially in DC. DC is a tough spot to kind of find vintage secondhand in person. You kind of have to go outside of the city. And I I have a couple of theories for why that might be true. Even a good, there's one goodwill in all of DC. When I can thrift, I definitely try to support some of the secondhand shops that are probably around 30 to an, thirty minutes to an hour outside of D.C. Um, but the challenge I started to encounter was my tutoring hours would conflict with how much time I was able to go into the actual physical store. And so I was like, I need to find a way to source, in addition to the times I'm able to go in person, to find pieces online. And so I became, I, I became sort of like an eBay, Poshmark, Depop junkie. And so I spend a lot of time searching really specific things. So here's my sort of like hot tip for buying secondhand online is you kind of want to go in in the same way, Dean, I've heard you say this about the thrift store. Like you go in with a list and you're like, this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a vintage wool sheep themed sweater. So I'll be like (laughs) sheep sweater, Eddie Bauer sheep, uh, Woolrick sheep sweater. And I just like am constantly searching these like 12 things over the course of like two weeks (laughs) to try to find the sweaters. So that's the first thing. And it's funny because each platform has its perks. So like eBay has to me like the most niche where like a lot of people on there are resellers. They often know what they're selling. So you kind of have to balance that of like they might charge you more, but you'll get exactly what you want. And then Depop 
has been really interesting for me because it's such a range of people. There's people who are resellers and then there's like, I'm a college kid and I'm trying to make five bucks. And so I'll ship this to you when I'm home at Thanksgiving. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, signs like, I'm not at my parents' house. Don't buy from me. It's like, <laughs> and then there's Poshmark, which is sort of somewhere in between. And what's all, what I also learned online is people are more likely to offer you a deal than you think. Yeah. So it's like on eBay, it's really obvious. It's like a here, make me an offer button. And then you kind of do this dance back and forth, which I don't know, like for some people is for me, it's very exciting. <laughs> it's like, ooh, can you get me $5? Okay, can I do $5 more? Whatever. <laughs> and then on Depop, there's no button like that. But some people are more amenable to deals if you just message them. And you're like, yeah. hey, couldn't you know, I can only afford to buy the sweater for 20. Could you maybe, you know, is that a possibility? And they might, some people are like, yeah, I just want to get rid of this. Like, sure. Thanks for asking. And like that knowledge took a little while to acquire, I think. So because you're sourcing online for a lot of your inventory, and it's definitely pricier because you're paying for that premium, right? That convenience. Do you find it harder than to price your items, you know, as far as trying to make that money back and and make a profit? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And that's why also, if you can go in person, it's the best because at least from a reseller's perspective, the margin is the best it's going to be, I think, if you're able to go in person. And so over time, I think I'm I'm still so new at this. I think the balance is like, how can you find like really specialty pieces? And maybe they're online, and they're more expensive. And so you sort of, you know, people know that like, oh, okay, this is probably not a piece that I could pick up in a thrift store. Like you probably aren't going to find an Eddie Bauer sheep sweater at the thrift store. But what I've, what I've found, though, is if I diversify and I'm like, okay, some of these pieces I'm going to thrift, some of these pieces I'm going to, you know, source online, it actually has allowed me to have more of a diverse price point for people, which I think has helped. Because I do think sometimes people come up to the rack and they're like, how much for a sweater? And, you know, I've done all the background calculus, but ultimately someone who wants a sweater, it's like it's either what you want and it's in the price range you want or it's not. And so to have a couple of other pieces that are maybe something that's like if you're a seasoned thrifter you probably wouldn't be surprised to find it but for someone who either doesn't have the time or doesn't want to develop that muscle they're like oh cool like 25 dollars, great like i'll pick it up and that's you know a real wool blazer like that's a steal because at ann taylor it's going to be you know 75 or something having the different price points helps sheep chic is going to be my favorite thing right now Amazing. Rajni and I have a relationship because we work together with some social media coaching. So I got to know you on kind of a more personal level. And I actually used you as an example in my reselling e-course in the sourcing section to give people some ideas on um, how to source online, because I think you do such a good job with it. And I, when you told me that during our coaching sessions, I was just thought it was really innovative of you because you are able to really, really specifically curate a collection like Sheep Sheep. So I used you as an example to kind of broaden your sourcing options. But I think that's what makes your shop so unique and so cool. One of my favorite conversations I had with you was about one of the messages we were trying to craft for your account was that all parts of you have place in your wardrobe. And so I wanted to talk more about your personal style and your background. How much of a role does your South Asian background play in your vision and your business and what you source and your personal style? 
Yeah. First of all, thank you so much. That means a lot to be showcased like that. I think it has a tremendous influence on me and probably in ways that are more subconscious than conscious. Because I think back to how I was raised and so much of the type of clothing that I remember my grandmother and my mother picking out was really colorful, bright and bold. And it wasn't just Indian clothes. It was like if I picked up a sweater, my mom was like, oh, why would you wear that like cream colored, like when you can wear fuchsia, right? Like, it was like that, that concept was always sort of in the back of my mind. And then additionally, the idea of like j- everything can be jazzed up. It's like, oh, why would you go outside without wearing earrings? Like you're naked, right? Like you have to, you know, accessories are so important. And so I think that definitely, I think, shaped how much I just love colorful clothing. Mm-hmm. And then I think... I was a so I was a public school teacher for four years. I taught math in public school before I started my own tutoring business. And I actually think during that time I lost a lot of my personal style. And I think it was because I, I wanted to appear more serious or I wanted kids to take me more seriously. Over time you realize that clothing doesn't have that much to do with it. But at you know, being young and in a classroom I sort of wore a lot of just a lot of cardigans and not that there's anything wrong with that, it just didn't really align with who I was and a lot of really like subdued color palette didn't really mess around with silhouettes. And so I don't even think I wore much makeup during that time. I just, in general, I just kind of lost that part of me. And so when I left the classroom and I could wear whatever I want, it was like a resurgence of my own personal style. And I got to wear more kooky things or, you know, things that spoke more to that sort of vibe, the vibrancy of clothing that I think I grew up with and, and I was surrounded with all the time. And then as I was curating for the shop, I was like, maybe more people feel like this than not. Just like in, in their lives. They're like, you know what? I, I love this crazy carrot themed gardening sweater, but like, why in the world would I ever wear this? And what would people say if I did? And so I think by having a place where people can come and be like, oh, like other people like this weird, cool, funky stuff too. Like, Maybe I maybe I will buy this sweater and find a reason to wear it. And that uh, desire to bring that out in people, I think, has been a driving force for me. For a lot of brown kids growing up in the United States, children of immigrants, at some point, many of us lose part of our identity. Uh, I don't know if you've experienced this at all, and I'm curious if you did. You know, for me, um, there was a period where I didn't want to wear anything traditional. Like, yeah, like in high school, like embracing that part of me seemed awkward and at some points even unnatural. But then as an adult, I'm all about it now. I try to support Palestinian-owned businesses and incorporate all of those elements that I have always loved, but kind of shied away from for a little while. So I loved hearing kind of about how your mom helped shape that. Was there ever a point where you lost that part of you, of yourself? I know you mentioned like, you know, being in school, you were more serious and, you know, quote, professional. But internally, did you ever feel like I I don't want to embrace the South Asian parts of me? That's a great question. You know, I, I think from a very young age, I always thought of it as two separate worlds. So the idea, maybe that, maybe that um, resonates with you. So like I, this it sounds like old 60s segregation, but like <laughs> I had, I had an Indian birthday party and I had my American yes. birthday party, yes. you know, I had my Indian friends that like my parents were friends with. And then I had my American friends and it was like a, like even my name, like I think most people call me Rajni. My Indian friends call me Rajni. 
And it was only until we got married that my husband started calling me Rajni instead of Rajni, and partly because he's white. Like that, like it just felt like I'd seamlessly created these two worlds that rarely ever touched. And so I think part of the adult journey for me has been combining the two mm-hmm. and being like, one part doesn't have to be sacrificed to the other. Because I, because I think I also remember feeling like I identify so strongly with these core values of my Indianness, like my, you know, I, I'm obsessed with Bollywood movies. And like, I love, like, I still go to this like Indian Pongra Zumba style dance class, <laughs> like to, for exercise. And, but on the other hand, I'm like, I had a very American upbringing. Like my parents really worked to like get me onto the soccer team, no matter how bad I was, but to like <laughs> have that experience or, you know, I grew up playing the piano, you know, the, I don't know if that's, it feels like a typical American kind of thing. And so I think I just, I always felt like I was both and I wanted permission to be both. And maybe that's, that's where I was like, the balance was always a challenge for me. That's a perfect way of describing it. And I think what happened with me is that they were always so separate. And then there was a phase where I did not want them to overlap. And this happens naturally, too, I think, for a lot of a lot of people growing up here, that you feel like sometimes some parts of your life lean towards one identity more than the other, depending on what you're going through and where you are in your phase in that light in your life. And like, even when I started Dina's days, I don't think I ever talked about where I was from or my background or any of that. And then it wasn't until I got a little bit older because I started the blog in my early 20s. And so the older I got, I'm like, wait, this is actually a huge part of me. And it's okay if they overlap. They don't have to be separate. And sometimes it's kind of like you don't want to have to explain it to people. And that's part of the reason why I pull back. I used to pull back a little bit and you don't know how it's going to be perceived. But it just feels more natural now that those two worlds overlap and come together. And so I just I love hearing how you describe that. That's just a perfect way of of explaining it. I think as an American, you know, we really don't have to go through anything like that. So it seems like a lot of pressure on you as young people, because you go through so much already, just, you know, in adolescence and growing up and finding yourself and then to have to kind of switch between the two cultures as well and you know that's that's a lot of work oh i mean that's kind of you to say shannon i mean it it felt challenging at the time but now in retrospect like i wouldn't i wouldn't change it which is so interesting you know like i'm sure if you would say that to me at 16 i'd be like yeah my life is so hard (laughs) you're so lucky like you got to you know eat indian food and have pizza and sometimes indian food on your pizza lucky you you know so i guess my now i feel like i'm getting older it's like my perspective on my childhood is yeah and 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 I think we've come such a long way you know the way that my daughter is going to grow up as you know a biracial kid or or grandchild of immigrants like it's going to be a completely different experience now than it was in the 80s and 90s and with information and you know the internet and technology and all of that stuff so it'll be interesting to see what her experience is like you talked a lot about color and just finding confidence with color and you know just kind of growing up with that and it being such a huge part of your personal life and your business, what would you say to someone, you know, trying to find that confidence and trying to incorporate more color and pattern into their lives? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think, so I'm a little bit of a personal style junkie, as in like on, that's like my favorite genre of YouTube to watch. It's like, how to build your closet basics and things (laughs) like that. So I, I do think some of it starts with 
do you like your clothes? Like when you look in your closet, are there things that you like? Or do you kind of look at your closet and you're like, none of this speaks to me. And I think that's that's the first real question you have to ask yourself. And then from there, I think pick out the things that you do like and be like, okay, what are the things about this piece of clothing that make me so excited? Or what is this piece of clothing that I'm too scared to wear, but somehow I'm never letting it go and I wonder why that is? Like, is it something aspirational that I that I want to be in my life and why am I afraid to wear it? And so there's a little bit of that inside work of what is the fear that's stopping you from wearing the clothes that you really want to wear? Is it how you feel about your body? Is it that someone used to say stuff to you like, oh, that color doesn't look right on your skin? Or like, mm-hmm. you know, all of those little scripts that we grow up with, I think it just kind of manifests in our closets in ways that we don't realize. <laughs> We're like, oh, that's why I never wear that. Like someone used to say that my neck was really stocky or something. I don't know. What <laughs> stupid stuff. And I think when you address that, then it allows you to say, okay, well then who do I want my closet to show? What do I wish my closet said about me? And then I think you can narrow down. It's like, oh, I love Bianca Jagger, or I really love Posh Spice, or I really love, you know, the Bend It Like Beckham girl. That's my, that's my personal thing. I was like, oh, I would just want to, I wanted to be a soccer player without the soccer skills, but all the fashion. So I love Adidas. <laughs> Um, my poor, my poor parents dragging me to the soccer games. Like when will she be better at soccer? (laughs) But you, then you have your sort of muses, right? Of like what, what you aspire to. And I think that really helps narrow down what kinds of color you want to bring in, what kinds of patterns you want to bring in. You know, there's such a beautiful, rich history of fashion that we all get to pull from. And I think like getting to be like, oh, I get to inherit all this cool fashion history. And I'm going to decide how I want to live this out. And then I think that really helps. So then that way, whether it's a vintage store or if it's a thrift store or if it's, you know, Madewell, whatever, you have sort of a rubric for what you're looking for. And I really think that that helps you pull, you know, pull pieces that will then align with who you want to be closet wise. I love that idea of looking at your closet and trying to figure out why you wouldn't get rid of something and then thinking deeper about it. Like I've never done that before. And there's, I have a ton of things in there that I'm like, I've literally never put on or I've like tried to put an outfit together and I don't want to get rid of it, but it just doesn't look exactly the way I want it, but I'm going to keep it until I can figure out a way to make it exactly the way I want it, where it might be, you know, Somebody told me at one point that if I had white on, I looked bigger. So then I don't want to wear this white thing, but I don't want to get rid of it at the same time. I never thought of that. That's a really different perspective. Yeah. And like, what's interesting about what you said, Shannon, right? It's like, that doesn't mean you have to keep it. It just means like, ask yourself why. And if it's something that's like, I remember um, there's a really cool scene in um, Eat, Pray, Love, where Julia Roberts is like, oh, my jeans are tight. And her friend, or no, her friend goes, my jeans are tight. And she was like, We've been eating pizza and having like the best time of our life. Like go buy another pair of jeans. Like don't hold on to this pair of jeans. It's just like making you feel bad. (laughs) Honestly, there's nothing more liberating than that feeling of, I truly genuinely feel like it's just more liberating when you do what you want and you wear things because they make you happy. I mean, I, I hate to keep it at such a basic level, but it's it's so hard to do. It's easier said than done. But man, when you find that balance, it's so liberating. You're like, this is what I love and this is what I'm going to wear, period. Totally. Totally. You look at your closet and you're like, ah, everything is just so. This yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> 
We're going to take a quick break to shout out this episode's sponsor, Smash and Tess. Listen, seeing models wearing the same exact piece in a range of sizes from 3 extra small to 4X on the Smash and Tess website was not only refreshing, but it made it incredibly easy for us to find our size. Both Shannon and I got the Wednesday romper, which I am absolutely in love with. It's so cozy, so soft. We linked it in the show notes, or you can head to smashtest.com to check out the romper and other cozy pieces. Don't forget to use the code THANKS to save 15% off. Well, I know your style, but I want others to just truly appreciate it as much as I do. So we're going to play a quick game of this or that. Okay, it's going to be fast. So you got to think on your feet. Okay, this or that, estate sale or flea market? Flea market. 80s fashion or 90s fashion? 90s fashion. (laughs) Windbreaker or quirky sweater? Uh, Quirky sweater. Oh my gosh, you're picking like all my favorite things. I know. (laughs) I made this extra hard. (laughs) Hillary Banks or Whitley Gilbert? I don't know the second person, so I'm going to have to say Hillary Banks. <laughs> Whitley from a different world. I don't know. This is my cultural blind spot, Dean. Okay, listen. Go on Hulu or Netflix, watch okay. A Different World, and you're about to just... Oh, it's like all of your clothes. It's, it's you're amazing. Gonna, yeah, you're going to be inspired. She's not as funky as Hillary, but... Uh... Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just did a Google search because I couldn't help myself. <laughs> oh, okay, noted. So for those who have not checked out Jungly Vintage yet, a lot of what you uh, curate, you do um, a lot of color, color blocking, early 90s, Bollywood. I think you said it's vintage with a pinch of masala. Oh, that's cute. (laughs) So perfect. Um, So tell us what you're curating right now. Oh, what are you into? Yeah. So let's see. Um, Things I love right now. Quirky sweaters are up there for sure, Dina, which is so funny that you had that in the game. Um, So I love sweaters that, especially if um, there's funky stuff that's actually in the knit. And I know this sounds so specific, but like I, not that I don't love an applique situation, but if, if there's like a sweater that's otherwise normal, and then there's just like a subtle array of penguins (laughs) knit into the fabric, like that is, that is it. That is the sauce. So I look for things of that nature, and that includes sort of like what I say, like whimsical knits, but really they're like sort of the ugly Christmas sweater you think of, but it's a theme. So it's like I found some that are gardening themed or book themed or estate sale themed, <laughs> just like all kinds of things of that nature. And then um, when it's not that, the other thing I actually, I love to curate for winter is long button downs that are kind of funky. And the best part to me is very often, you know, I mean, I get I get a range of people who come to the pop ups, but I especially love it when there's the boyfriend who's in the chair who's waiting for his girlfriend. And he's like, oh, there's never anything for me on the racks. And then she calls him over and then she's like, oh, that shirt would look great on you. And all of a sudden he has something to wear, too. I just I love that. So I and, you know, it's it's sort of goes both ways, like gender wise, like, I mean, everybody can wear a button down, which is pretty cool. So it's more equal opportunity. And then I love curating certain textures. So I love I look for velvet statement pieces and I look for, you know, like silky statement pieces. And then my um, my hope for closer to Valentine's Day, I would love to do like a really intense 
slip lingerie collection that's kind of funky because anybody who's been to one of my pop-ups knows I have a serious like 80s Victoria's Secret problem like I love curating (laughs) vintage slips and like colorful sets and things like that so whenever I find those it's that's my favorite too have you sold your estate sale sweater yet no I have not (laughs) oh Shannon you're gonna faint oh my you are going and I mean hands down I'm gonna be ready to catch you because you're gonna faint when you see this sweater it's yeah, the coolest thing it. i have ever seen oh uh, you like you and i are in the same wavelength yeah. with the funky sweaters like you're making me so happy right now oh i'm so glad what's something you wish you would have known before starting your business i wish i had been more clear about what i wanted to bring curation wise because i think that would have prevented me from buying inventory that didn't match the aesthetic i wanted to deliver there was a point, this is a sad story. Well, sad in that, like it was sad in the moment, but I'm, I'm glad it happened. It was about two or three months into starting the business, maybe after the Instagram was launched and I had all these clothes I'd amassed in our very small one bedroom, like our small apartment. And I was just like looking at the clothes and I was like, Brian, this is my husband, Brian, this is not right. I was like, this doesn't, this is not what I envisioned this line to look like. And... I'd spent a good amount of money on this. And he was just like, it's okay. And I know like we're fortunate to be in that position where we sort of plan financially for that to be true. But I think I had to let go of a lot of the stuff that I thrifted and in kind of the heat of the moment of passion of like, oh, I'm going to get this, you know, oh, this is silk, let me buy it. Or, oh, this is a good fabric, let me get it. And not thinking in terms of who is the person that's buying from me that, and like, how does this differentiate from what they could go buy themselves at a thrift store. Because a lot of the people who come shop with me are, they're not, they're very savvy. Like a lot of them are thrifters themselves. Like they know what they can and can't find in a store. And so I think having the courage to be like, ooh, I kind of failed at this. Let me try again. Let me sit down and really think about what I want to bring to the table. Um, At least help me get into the right direction so that by the time I did do an in-person pop-up, I actually felt good about every single piece that was on the rack. And now, since then, we sort of have that practice of every single piece should be a a piece I would kill for. And there should be no such thing as a filler piece on these racks, right? If If I'm sort of being paid to curate for people, then everything should be a hell yes. There should be no in between. And so that's sort of what I've learned. Wow, what a great lesson. I'm gonna follow that advice. Because I, I find myself picking up filler pieces sometimes, even if I don't love it. And it's tough because, I mean, all three of us, like, we love a good deal. It's like, yeah, I mean, that's part of it, right? It's like part of the thrill. And I, I just think actually following your channel or your Instagram has helped me so much in terms of sometimes you go to the thrift store and you just have to leave with nothing. And yeah. you have to be okay just saying today was not my day and like, the things didn't align with what I really love or what I really wanted. And I think without that failure, you wouldn't be as successful as you are at pop-ups now. Yes, I think you are absolutely right about that. Yeah, you know, a lot of times people who want to get into this, they start at the end goal and they don't kind of, you kind of have to work backwards. And and I truly believe the two most important pieces before you start thinking about what you want to sell and how much money you want to make and where you want to sell it, you got to think about two things. Your purpose, what is my purpose and reason for doing this? And number two, who's my target audience? Because you know this, we all know this, you can walk into a thrift store, vintage shop, estate sale, and there's something for everybody. And you can't really 
you can, you know, be something for everyone. But I think you have to work to that point. I think you have to start with what you know and what you love and what you're really good at, and then maybe expand to include other target audiences and and other styles. But I think so many of us start in reverse, and then that's how you end up with a lot of inventory that you don't love and can't sell. This is how you end up with time kind of wasted on platforms or at pop-ups and at shop at markets that did not meet your criteria. And I've been there a hundred times. And so I I think those two pieces, a lot of us don't want to spend time on those. What's my purpose? Well, my purpose is to make money, duh. But I think it's deeper than that. I think there are other ways to identify what you want to get out of this and, and why is it worth your time investment? Yeah, Dina. I mean, what you're saying resonates with me in terms of, there's some like personal development stuff there because, you know, being able to say no despite it maybe appealing to someone it's like you almost in the same way with your personality it's like you might not be for everybody and that's okay like your clothes may not be for everybody and that's okay I mean and that's something I had to experience too of like people walking by my racks there are people who will look at it take one look and they're like there is nothing in that rack that would ever appeal to me (laughs) but what's cool about it is I think I actually like that it's such a guttural reaction because there's either people who walk by and they're like yeah, this stuff is crazy and like not in line with anything that I would ever wear. You do you, honey. And they walk by. Yeah. And then someone else looks up and they, their eyes light up because it's exactly, you know, they're like, oh, I had this when I was five. And that's like exactly what, you know, they want. They want that nostalgia or they love the color or whatever it is. And it, I, I like that. And I think I get more of that the more I've done this of like kind of the polar reactions to things. And so I think that that's actually a good sign. And a lot of times when we're insecure, we think the opposite, like, oh, someone didn't like, oh, I must be doing something wrong. It's like, no, actually, you're you're not for everybody. And the the best businesses know who they are, mm-hmm. to your point, know their purpose, and they know who they serve. And then yeah. do that. <laughs> Shannon, you kind of experienced that, too, when you were going through your reselling phase. Oh, big time. Yeah, I was just buying everything that I thought somebody would buy yeah just like anything and everything and then i had all of these clothes that i had to figure out what to do with figure out where to sell and most of them just kind of went to the wayside it'd be this like oh that seems like a really good brand or that's really faint i think that's fancy and if retails for a lot of money but i wasn't like thinking about like when i talk to people i talk about how i like funky stuff and this was just all run-of-the-mill regular stuff And I was thinking about money and not like a curated closet in any way. Yeah. So relatable, Shannon. I feel like when when you think about money first, like it doesn't all come together. That's really interesting. So do you have a preference at pop-ups or online? I love pop-ups. They are so much fun. And since we've started, like, especially being in D.C. and sort of consistently popping up in D.C., a couple of things have happened. And the first is... I sort of have like a pop-up crew that I pop up with. So I have two girlfriends who do vintage goods and then a couple friend who does plants. And so the three of us sort of like alternate finding opportunities to pop up. And we're like, hey, we're popping up outside of, you know, this restaurant. Come join us. Or like, oh, I'm doing this market. You should do it. And so we, you sort of start to and then you start to meet other pop-up people. And you realize it's like a very cool, you know, welcoming community within the city. And so in that way, the city has started to feel really small. And then the other cool thing is 
um, we have repeat customers. So like because people live in D.C. and partly for the reason where it's, it's harder to to do secondhand in person, it's not impossible. And there are some really great spots, but it's not like I mean, I feel like Ohio is like the land of the vintage, you know, it's just <laughs> on another level, um, truly. <laughs> so I think to have someone be like, oh, when's your next pop up? Like and also, can you get some sweaters because I've been looking for something or, you know, I've had my eye on a blazer. Can you bring that next time or you know, you kind of get requests and you can kind of cater your shopping experience for people, which is pretty cool. And so that part is just wonderful. And then what I've started to do <laughs> is I bring um, one of those camping changing tents. You know, what you put, I think they're meant to be put over a porta potty. <laughs> and so you sort of like have, so I bring it so that people can actually physically try on the clothes and like touch them. And so you do lose a little bit of that online. But I mean, that, so that's so that part of the pop ups I really love. That being said, the online part, after having worked with you especially, it's just, it's almost like doing theater. Like, it's so much fun. It's like, how can I take these three things and, like, put together a fun themed outfit and then maybe inspire people to wear it in a way that they wouldn't have thought of? And so I get a lot of sort of feedback between my Instagram and pop-ups where someone's like, oh, like I love this at the pop-up, but then I saw you wear it on Instagram and now I know what to do with your carrot-themed gardening book sweater. (laughs) Like now I know how to wear it, so now I want to buy it. Yeah. I think that loop is really helpful. Yeah, one of my favorite things about your account and when we work together, like kind of helping you sort that piece out was the education piece, the process of showing people how to wear things because I love vintage, I love thrift, But sometimes I see something where I'm like, this would never work on my body type, for example. And then just seeing the different options, even if your body type is different than mine, seeing the different options for styling, I am like, oh, well, okay, I I don't really wear mini skirts, but I could pair it with a blazer or I could pair it with jeans or something like that. So I love just seeing how you style stuff. It's one of my favorite things that comes up in my feed. Thank you so much. It's a ton of fun. I do think that that's how... That part of styling, I think, really does combine my math nerd side with my fashion side because it is a lot about, there's sort of like an analytical side to putting together an outfit that is very satisfying to me in terms of like, oh, this length meets here, so then maybe this should cut me here. And like, that stuff I I nerd out about for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I really think that fashion rules are sort of meant to be broken, but it, it's almost like a, a writing prompt. Like someone gives you a prompt and then you can kind of, you know, mess around with it. Like people are like, oh, you can't wear, you know, I don't know. What's a what's a silly fashion rule that we could break? Black and navy, right? I feel like that was one for a long time. Like no blavy. <laughs> but the idea is it's like, oh, but if you do it intentionally, then you're a badass. And that's yeah. Different, right? so it's like, I love that. Yeah. So tell everybody where they can find you locally, online. Yeah, absolutely. So the best way to find me is definitely on Instagram. I'm um, jungly underscore vintage. And through there, you can find my website to shop with me online, which is shopjungly.com. And I try to, you know, refresh every a couple of times a month if I can. Um, And then definitely if you're in D.C., come stop by one of the pop-ups i try to post about those on instagram consistently um because that's where also the majority of my stuff is in pop-ups and it's just so much fun to meet new people so i'd love to meet people in person if they're ever in dc thank you so much for joining us thank you so much it was such a pleasure to talk to you both it was so much fun it was so nice to meet you thanks for listening to thanks it's thrifted with dina and shannon for episode show notes go to dinasdays.com slash podcast 
And let us know what your biggest takeaway was from today's episode. You can find us on Instagram at thanksitsthrifted.pod. I'm at Dina's Days. Shannon is at Fat Don't Crack. And on Facebook, look up Dina's Days. <laughs>